Thank you, everybody, so much for being here, and welcome to the fourth episode of For Women by Women. My name is Janice Summer, and I will be your host today. The idea for this monthly live event and podcast series came from the wish to create a safe and authentic space where we can share the kaleidoscope of experiences of women. We empower and we inspire. We open up conversations about topics that move us. Within our community, you will find peers, mentors, and role models, sparring partners, people with shared values and with radically different experiences, and mentees from whom you will learn as much as they will learn from you. Everyone is welcome, and you can join our next recording by signing up at www.fwbw.org. Today, we're speaking about women and sustainability. And of course, our first question was, where shall we begin? It's a huge topic. It's all-encompassing, and it's so important. It's affecting every single person living on our planet Earth. And in some ways, it can feel overwhelming to consider where to begin. So to find a place to begin, we now have gathered an inspiring selection of brilliant female entrepreneurs and founders. Um, and I'm very, very glad to welcome you all here today. We have Alessa from Top Tier Impact, Alice from Accenture and ESCP, Guinness from Clean the World Asia, Nora from Mimicry, Toya from Duara Education, and Annalise from Citizen M. So to start off, I'd love for you all to introduce yourself. And uh, let's begin with you, Alessa. What brings you here? And uh, just give us a little bit of an idea on why you are in this space and what brought you here. Of course. Thank you so much, Janice, and everybody for putting together this amazing series. So my name is Alessa Bird. I am Swiss-Brazilian, and my background is both as tech impact investor and entrepreneur. So today and at this point in time in my career, I'm actually overseeing a couple of companies. One is Top Tier Impact, which over the years has grown this global ecosystem of impact investors, entrepreneurs, professionals. We have 35 city chapters around the world. Uh, I believe 50 countries represented in our members. Uh, we also host our impact investment events during COP, Climate Week, Davos, and other places. Uh, we have a site that does investment. Uh, banking activities in the impact space in emerging markets and another side that advises companies on climate tech, which actually gets to the company, the startup that spinned out of uh, Top Tier Impact, which is a climate tech platform uh, for large companies to gather all their climate and ESG data, report on that. Um, I think for me, ultimately, it all comes down to bringing this impact and sustainability paradigm into the mainstream. That is the mission of Top Tier Impact, and that tends to align with all the things I do. So I also accepted to host uh, a TV series for Gaia, Apple, Amazon on impact entrepreneurship. It's coming out next year. And uh, what we are really seeking to do with that project as well is to make impact and sustainability accessible to a larger audience, but not just in the sense of, hey, here is how we can recycle, but really how can we put our lives and our careers into impact? Because I believe that if sustainability is really to go into the mainstream and become second nature in how we operate on this planet, then we can incorporate it much more into our lives. So that's a little bit what I'm up to. Great. Thank you so much, Alessa. And I think there's a lot of connections that we can make with the other people on this panel. So next up, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself, Alice. What brings you into this space and why have you chosen to be here? Alice? I am back. Sorry, I'm into Italian countryside. Um, <laughs> so about myself. Okay, I'm Austrian, um, living currently in Berlin, and I'm a mother of three children. Um, and I would say I'm a human rights and sustainability expert since, yeah, longer time. Um, I lived in China and Asia for six years, was their head of CSR for Kaufland, and um now working for Accenture as a consultant in the sustainability space and as well as an academic advisor at the ESCP um, business school for the MBA students, um, which I really, really enjoy. I guess that's my my big background, yeah. 
Great. Okay. So let's continue with you, Yunith. Glad that you were able to make it. Yunith had a, a flight situation and she was still able to join us, which is very, very exciting. Hi. Um, yeah, I just barely made it. I arrived mm -hmm. uh, here in Glasgow about, I've been back home here at about like, 15 minutes before we're supposed to log in. So perfect timing. Um, so I'm glad to be on this panel with all these other inspiring ladies. Um, and I um, I actually started off as a um, consultant as well um, and just doing business consulting. And then I did marketing uh, and I loved diving. So I went diving like crazy in Malaysia, which was very close to where I was. And I met a lot of inspiring people through my dive um, weekends. And I met one person who actually encouraged me to do a marine conservation. So I took a sabbatical. And when I did that sabbatical in Mexico, I was um, diving quite a bit. And I also saw, you know, we were diving and getting data on the on the sea. And I saw the, the, um, the impact firsthand of what's going to happen to the ocean uh, we saw corals bleaching um, and we saw fish, um, you know, just the number of fishes that we were taking data from over the years were like reducing. So we saw the, uh, and this was in the Mesoamerican Great, um, the Barrier Reef, which is the second biggest barrier reef in, um, in the world. And I think that's kind of inspired me. So when I left Latin America and I came back to Singapore, I had Can anybody hear? No. Okay, Kenneth, you're uh you're breaking up a little bit. Maybe there's something off of your connection. Can you hear us? No. Okay, she's left. She will be back, I'm sure. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, here she is. <laughs> I'm okay, so sorry. you're back. Yes. So uh, basically, to cut the long story short, I um I put out the energy in the 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 universe, you know, and I I said I really want to do something about sustain with sustainability because I wanted to do something meaningful and uh, yet had an impact on you know had a social and environmental impact. And I spread the word around and uh, I got an interview with an impact investing company and they were looking for a marketer. So I went into impact investing space, which was very, um, very unusual because I did not have any financial backgrounds. Uh, I didn't, I only had marketing. Um, so when I moved in, it was not easy because impact investing was a, quite a niche space. This was about 12 years ago. Um, and it was very nascent in Singapore at that time. But I got to, you know, dip my feet into the whole impact investing and social entrepreneurship space, learned a lot about that. Um, and then I kind of moved on to join Fullerton and Fullerton Bay Hotel and uh, did a lot of um, green initiatives with them. And they introduced me to my current company right now. It's called Clean the World. Asia and Clean the World is part of Clean the World Global. We are the world's largest soap recyclers for hotels. And we recycle the soaps, make it into bar soaps, make it into brand new bars of soap. And we distribute it out to people in need together with a hygiene education. Uh, so that's something a bit different. It's not as, um, I would say, um, academic or like, Data driven, but yet we are going into data driven uh, impact uh, measurements, as in, we are now working with an ESG consultant to see how do we contribute to the EU and SDG goals through, you know, carbon emission offsetting uh, and water, you know, water reduction uh, from recycling soap bars, because, you know, soap is made of a lot of. Um, plant oil, like coconut oil and palm oil. So it's very interesting time for us. And um, yeah, love to uh, tell you more, but that's where I am. It's seen the world. <laughs> really, yeah, really interesting. And I think we have 
um, the opportunity to go into a little bit more detail on uh, concrete steps that various people are taking um, mm -hmm. later on in the conversation. But since we kind of ended your introduction on the last note with hotels, um, let's move straight on to Annelise, who is with Citizen M. Hey, so nice to be part of this discussion. So uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'll start with um, where did my kind of journey in sustainability start a long time ago. Um, so from the age of 16, I'm now in my early 40s. Um, I actually started by doing environmental science A-level. I then did an environmental studies degree, and then I did a master's in disaster management and sustainable development. At that time, I had no idea how important those subjects would, uh, you know, would unravel and become so important, um, you know, 20 years later. Um, I've worked for various different companies. Um, so initially starting off in the UK, I've worked for transport companies, um, a food company, uh, tech, and for the last four years, um, I've been working for Citizen M. We're a, ho a hotel company. We've got over 30 hotels globally. And we're really serious about sustainability. And uh, yeah, so I'm really happy to, to be here. This is my journey so far. Great. Thank you so much. So now with the intros we've had so far, there has been a lot of focus on the environmental side of sustainability. But if we're talking about sustainability overall, to me at least, I think it's something about the idea of not only the planet, but also the people. And as we say, people, planet, profit, it's it's all part of it if we're running a business, but it's also all part of managing our world so that it can be a nice place to live for future generations to come. So two of our other panelists are working on the human side, more on the social aspect, giving opportunities. And therefore, I would like to introduce Nora, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think it's already worth being here and just listening to uh, uh, the, the introductions uh, from the women before me, because I feel that um, uh, yeah, the, the field of sustainability is so big and there's so many different dimensions. And I'm, I'm happy that we tap a bit on all of them. And uh, as you mentioned before, I'm a bit more or moved a bit to, um, a bit more towards the pillar of like um, social sustainability in my different roles. And um, one role is I'm the, I'm the co-founder of a social uh, organization where we work with people that uh, had um, to flee their countries. So, um, and also repurposing existing material. That's my role of co-founder of Mimicry. And then my other role, as a partner in a female-led consultancy, uh, we try to set up teams uh, that work in a way so that they can uh, deliver the most innovative solution or products or processes. And then uh, in the last 10 years, I always realized there's so many people working on innovations and um, mostly they say, yeah, this needs to be an app or this needs to be something um, technology related, but it could also be a process if we ask ourselves who's actually developing what for whom. So we need diverse teams um, to be um, working on um, future solutions, on tech solutions if we want to have them accessible and also beneficial for a uh, yeah for everybody and um, mm -hmm. um I, I think uh, that uh, this is this the, the topic where i'm drawn more towards um or where i realize that my professional um career path is taking me even though i think that obviously all these things are interrelated um, and that's why I love so much to be here to talk about these different dimensions and the experiences that we that we um yeah have personally but um also professionally because I believe that it's not really possible to separate the one personality uh, from the other I'm always also a biggest a big sister I'm always be a half Moroccan um no matter in what situation I'm in Great. And could you just quickly, for those who don't know, do a half sentence intro about what is mimicry? Of course. 
It's a um, social enterprise and we started to repurpose broken refugee rubber boats um, after a volunteering experience on Greek islands. And the idea is um, to create a small positive uh, example of how sustainable business making can look like by providing job opportunities um, for people that wouldn't have access to the labor market and also repurposing existing material. So it's, it could also be called a very long marketing uh, campaign where you really create tangible products that combine the social and environmental uh, dimensions. Amazing. Thank you. So I think that actually leads very well to our final panelist that we haven't yet introduced. We have Toya, who is also working on the social side and and um and has actually got some very exciting news with her new business today. So Toya, will you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing? She's currently on her way to Nairobi, by the way. So we are a very international panel here. Hi everybody. Also so thrilled to be here. Sorry, I'm at the airport, so a bit of background noise. Um Yeah, I'm Toya. I am German, but have lived in Kenya and in Nairobi now for the last five and a half years and on the African continent now for almost eight years. Um, I'm building an organization called Dwara Education, which is creating a network of affordable schools across the African continent. Um, and the exciting news is just that I, in the, or that I've closed my fundraising round. So that was the bit of an intense time in the last couple of, of weeks and I'm very very happy and excited uh, excited for that the first one um the way of my journey towards towards maybe being here on this call today is that I've been passionate about education basically for all my life since I had personally an amazing primary school teacher who really changed me and I think also made me realize the importance of teachers and of education when it comes to choices and opportunities obviously I didn't realize that when I was six but rather when I was 16 and older um, and that then after that I, I was a primary school teacher after school in Peru and learned that or saw the difference um, when the public education system is not as great then the private education system is often very expensive and inaccessible and sort of that for me stuck since, since then to say okay how, do, how can we make quality education It, that is more accessible and, and financially affordable in places where the, where the public education is not as strong. And that then basically since then led me over some wiggles to, um, to an organization that's called African Leadership Group, African Leadership University, that's building universities across the African continent, um, aiming to make innovative tertiary education more affordable. But for me, I always knew that this is also an important space for me to learn, but I always wanted to um, go into the school space, especially the primary school space to start as early as possible. And so that's why I left that organization and um, now started Dwara, which is empowering teachers to start their own community-based schools that make quality education affordable in their, in their neighborhoods. And maybe obviously the link to sustainability beyond the, that, It is, yeah, very important, obviously, from an individual community and societal point of view to have education that is as accessible as possible. Is also that the African continent is the youngest, the fastest growing um, on this planet, um, as, as well as the hardest hit um, when it comes to climate change and the least contributing to CO2 emissions. And so topics of adaptation, resilience, mitigation are hugely uh, important. Thank you. Thank you. Incredible. Wow. I mean, this is happening in the chat right now. I've seen, uh, I just have to agree. What an inspiring group of women. I'm so, so glad to be able to uh, host you all here today. And um, there are so many things that I would like to discuss just based on these introductions that it's quite difficult to decide on <laughs> where to focus. But I think um. One of the things that unites all of us is that we have made a choice at some point in our career. I mean, we've all now heard the paths of how we've entered to do something 
that has a deeper sense of meaning. On one hand, I think this is just uh, a choice that helps us all be more resilient and more focused in, in trying to achieve our goals. On the other hand, of course, there are huge challenges and things can feel absolutely overwhelming. So as we have the various aspects that we can discuss here today, maybe um, I wanted to first just touch on my experience, which has been, I've always been interested in impact and, and finding ways to combine business and making a positive change. And, and that's doable in, in various avenues. But I have found that there's been a much bigger awareness in, in recent years, especially obviously as, as awareness on the climate crisis is growing. So maybe um, as we also have uh, regulatory changes and so on um, going on, we have more and more people that are forced to deal with these things in their in their work lives. And those of us who've been working with Impact for a longer time are now maybe feeling like there's finally a bit of momentum. So I would like to open the discussion uh, initially to Alice and to Alessa, because the two of you are quite involved on, on that side. Do you find it difficult to deal with uh, new regulations that are forcing people to make a change when perhaps it would have been preferable for people to make a change anyway from the beginning? And is that a hard dynamic to manage. Alessa, why don't we start with you? <laughs> Great question, Janice. Uh, well, I actually find it exciting. I find it exciting that this is happening. It's a lot to navigate, though. So, for example, at ESG360, uh, our software platform helps large companies like navigate all of these regulations, take the data online, and then make sense of that data. And so we had to create an ESG Explorer module that literally just shows all the regulations, local, European, global, and how they interrelate with each other, like how you take certain sets of data and put them in. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's really a lot of work. And, um, you know, this is a marathon. It really is. And I think that is important to approach both for ourselves, right? So for my teams, but then also the the companies we interface with and the ecosystem overall to approach it as such because it's a little bit like being on moving sands right or moving grounds to so for example there's something called tcfd that in the past years i came out of the uk and started being adopted uh it's a regulation for climate related financial disclosure but now IFRS through ISSD, a new set of regulation, has taken on something that is uh, creating a new level playing field and uh, and really pushing adoption to the next level. And so that means that TCFD is stepping back. However, we have nature and biodiversity regulation, TNFD, that is going to be a big deal for companies as well. We've also been integrating it into our platform to like, make all of that easier because you know what worries me a little bit is that when i look at how these reporting and this regulation is currently delivered it's a lot of work and it's currently very expensive and i think it needs to be made easier it needs to be made more approachable more affordable um you know so really leveraging technology in a positive way to our advantage and that's really like where i'm at hey i'm excited about the regulation but let's make sure that we navigate this well without overwhelm and uh, and really seeing it as this long-term journey because in a way we want all these changes to have happened yesterday but what I am mm -hmm. seeing is that actually what we are putting in the market out there is a lot like this regulation is a lot and so yeah. even though we already wanted these changes to happen yesterday if we are realistic, it's going to take a while. It's going to be a journey and all stakeholders are involved because it's no longer, oh, these departments like marketing or, or regulatory. It's like all departments of a company need to collaborate together. And so this is all very new. And, uh, and that's why I think it's very important to approach it as a journey and really think about 
step by step what is realistic because we do want all of this to be you know done and normal but it's a big adjustment so that to me is an important part of it yeah Alice and you I mean you're dealing with this yeah. uh, in your consulting work <laughs> every day and then obviously we have people like Annalise yeah. who are implementing it in their business so how what are your thoughts yeah. Alice? A lesson yeah Alice I fully agree I think yeah I I love the regulations the regulations that are already implemented like the Lieferkettenzorgfestpflichtengesetz so the supply chain due diligence law <laughs> long german word germany <laughs> or the, yes it's yeah everyone gets a beer if you can really spell it well um, <laughs> um or the upcoming to uh CS triple D which is the european regulations on due diligence um Yes, and 10 years ago was the collapse, for example. I just put it on, yeah, on my work. So 10 years ago was the collapse of Rana Plaza where 2,000 factory workers died in Bangladesh, for example. Yeah. I was then two years afterwards going coming to China and work really was in Bangladesh, but Pakistan and all these countries and and working on, on the improving of factories, of decent work, of... Of the real problems of child labor, and really, I was in some companies were already doing a lot in that in that field. Yeah, I would say like big companies who are scared to get back into into the bad marketing. Yeah, that's um, mm -hmm. company. Yeah, the media is writing badly about them. So it was more the pressure from media um, letting those um, companies do a change. And unfortunately, yeah. yeah, the change only happened in a few, I would say more in the fashion industry and not in some other company and industries. And now with this with this um, law coming up, you can see that companies are working on it. And what I would like to say, like, it's also an opportunity for companies because what we realized back then, eight years ago, five, yeah, eight years ago, with knowing your supply chain yeah, and not having maybe 10 different suppliers for one product, but maybe focusing on three, building up relationships, collaborating with other companies would also give you a more efficient and a resilient supply chain. And those companies mm -hmm. who, were, who were doing that already had less problems in the, especially now COVID, it showed again, if you have, if you know where your products are coming from, If you know exactly, okay, those three suppliers, you can shift it more easily. You can work together. You have a certain advantage if you, if you, yeah, you know your supply chain, even go really, really deep down the supply chain. And we see that now with companies there, it is hard work because they really just start some because the law is coming up. Um, but it leads as well to a positive transition. Um, yeah, and on the other side, you see as well employees asking for it. Yeah, you you retain your talent if your company does work well, working well with these regulations or become a sustainable company, and as well, um, customers are demanding it. Yeah, the new generations, I really think um, they want to do that. Nora, you have a question. Yeah, uh, a question or, or, or also a comment. So I second all that you're saying. And at the same time, I'm wondering um, if, oh, do you think at some point we will have this perspective where um, we don't have to find arguments that um, where we say this increases your efficiency, um, but where we just do things because it's right? Um, so if I, oh, if, I, I if I if I if I can be the, the visionary or like because I think that would be like the a scenario in which I would feel very comfortable and I know that we're not there yet and many things have to happen but just how, would you have any suggestions how to move on? Let women take over, and get into <laughs> the power. <laughs> I would say so. Um, I mean, I think I, this is such a great input. Sorry. Go. I no, was I was just gonna. I was just gonna add that I love what you said, Nora, because I hope we're gonna go full circle on this. So, in other words, the way you see it is that we started it all by saying this is the right thing to do. Let's do it. 
And then pragmatically speaking, we saw that, hey, we need to show the benefits because realistically in the current economic system, companies need to understand there is an enterprise value impact like from mm-hmm. all of this. It has financial consequences. Like I've read in the chat just now, being proactive is a great investment. And so then, so it's kind of like gone into, hey, by the way, it's also a good idea so that we can catalyze more movement and eventually hopefully get all the way back around to this is the right thing mm. to do and this should not even be a question right like it's just part of things yeah i mean in an ideal world it would turn almost into a self-fulfilling prophecy where one leads to the other and the final result is the impact that we wish to achieve from the beginning anyway and I also on that perspective as we are here in a call for women by women um with a few of the past um Uh, podcast episodes we've had, there has been um, the question of, ah, it's it's maybe not so easy to find women in senior leadership positions in, in certain industry groups. With sustainability, what I find quite interesting is that it does seem to be a space where we have a lot of women who are very successfully uh, running their business. And, and here we have obviously a selection of entrepreneurs and people working in industry and in consultancy. But I was reading an article that was talking about how perhaps one of the reasons why the space of sustainability is such an appealing one for women to exist in is because as women, we generally, maybe cliched, have a sense of uh, nurturing or wanting to care for those around us and, and therefore care for the environment in which in which we exist, in which our children exist or our children's children exist. Um, so I'm just thinking about the idea of communities because it's something that I think most of you have in common from um, building communities around education of young people or on hygiene or even the community that you build by running a hotel, all the way to communities of refugees working to make products. There are so many parallels with all of our stories that the power of community is a way in which we can make a change. So maybe to bring the microphone back to Toya, um, since you're building community on a very grassroots level, Um, maybe you have some thoughts about what this means in in uh, in achieving impact and, and achieving your goals. Thank you. Yeah, so many so many ways of right now thinking and uh, approaches. I think that I mean just tying it quickly back to the piece on women, though. I think there is surely something around like the the feminine side around yeah nourishing nurturing. Um, thinking more about the future maybe in, in that way and, and, and caring beyond themselves for others as well and building something that's bigger themselves. I also think though there is to me something around the, the courage to take sort of a path which is a bit less beaten, which is why mm-hmm. maybe in this, in this, in this space um, and in this call, we find, find many, many women here today who are, We're going this path and who have already also often started this path way before it was sort of, if you want to go into the sustainability space, right? And I think that's something that I also, yeah, would attest to to women who, who care and who, and to have this, uh, the courage to take this path. So just a comment on this one. Um, yeah. And I, one second. And I think, um, in on the topic of community i mean to me it is all it is all about communities really in that it is both the communities that we individually have around us and that, that we can create for ourselves as sort of the the friends who who we live with and who we surround ourselves with as people but i think also of course the broader communities who we engage with and i think it is so important that we learn to have the tools to build communities though because i think it's something that we've almost yeah we're we're not in, often intentional about it anymore we're not realizing how important communities are for us and we're sort of going in our lives and doing the individual journeys and the individual 
um, way while ultimately, and of course in the recent years we've seen we've seen this with COVID and so on, but we we need community. We are hardwired for 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 human connection, obviously, and we mm-hmm. we've almost lost a bit the first of all the awareness of how important it is, but then secondly also the tools to reach out, to be to say, hey, this is this is how I would love to build connection. This is how I want to open up. This is how I want to be vulnerable. This is how we could collaborate in some way. And I think that is something that, yeah, in every, wherever we are, in every location and every sphere, I think we, I love, and, and I'm trying to make an, an, a contribution to us finding both the awareness within us and the, and, and, and then being able to, to have the tools to actually create communities for us and for others around us. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. Um, and Nora, how about you? I mean, I'm just so amazed by the concept of, uh, well, also the, the fact that you're doing two different things. And I find it interesting in general that a lot of us on here have more than one um, mission, multiple businesses or multiple aspects of life that we're balancing and multitasking. One of the previous um, calls, it was mentioned that as women general, we are very good at multitasking. Um, but yes, in terms of the c- communities that you are building that are bringing in um, people who really n- need help to put a foot in the door, that may be doors that are open for other people simply by the fact of where they were born and grew up. So I would be curious to hear your thoughts there. Huh. Um, yeah, so I think um, it comes back to very much to us uh, my um, other consultancy job where we work a lot with user-centric um, design methodologies. And I think that's what it's actually about when it's about building communities because you have to see who is in front of you, what do they need and um, what are their mm-hmm. needs. And now looking back at how we set up uh, Mimicry a couple of years ago, I would do it very differently with everything that I have learned. Um, and I would okay. um, also uh, stress the factor of like having somebody from the community um, uh, also helping us to take the right decisions for the organization. So I think um, mm. looking at um, um, like building community from my perspective um, as like sitting here in um, Berlin, I probably have a very different um opinion about what could what could the right community yeah what could the right community be for somebody that experienced something that I have never experienced and, and I think mm-hmm. I would for the future I would take that into account and um I see also that uh, many organizations that I'm interacting now I've been um involved um much stronger um since I w- went to a, a mission with Médecins Sans Frontières a couple of years ago and now working with them um, as well and how also like community approaches are being like trying to be rolled out also in humanitarian projects um also in um um yeah co-creating basically to create social and environmental impact because i think there's knowledge there's not it's not only about delivering the best product or service but it's there's also so much knowledge from the communities that we could never have because we are not the affected people um, mm-hmm. And that comes back to what I said at the very beginning, that I think it's very important to think about who is developing what for whom and that the people affected should always be also in the, or who takes the decisions um, or who is advising the, the decision makers. Um, and I think that at least this perspective should be represented in um, projects that are like truly focusing on creating impact for certain communities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. Really interesting. Um, Another thing that I find an interesting thought is for those who are working in um, sustainability and ESG within a company, you are in, in some ways, you know, an insulated part within the overall running of a business in some cases. In an ideal world, obviously, you would integrate um, all of your ESG-related decision-making into the actual running of the business. But in many cases, it becomes kind of an add-on that's either existing because of regulatory requirements, but then sometimes 
you have an opportunity, especially if the business is young, to feed these considerations into the actual running of your business. So, um, Annalise, I wanted to ask you, in your experience at Citizen M, how do you manage on one hand the things that you are doing and it would be cool to hear just a few of the things that you are doing and and the parts where is it just the e part of esg or do you have the s part as well and then how does that integrate into the actual way that the business is run as itself yeah big topic um so i think uh, let's let's start with them um, I think when I very first started my my job at Citizen M, I said a very big, bold statement, which is my job is not to have a job. And so that is it for me as an ESG director. I should make sure that uh, ESG is integrated within every department at Citizen M. Um, and I, I truly believe that actually in the future, that's the way it should be. I think that you will see that, you know, by building other people's um, uh, Uh, well, educating, I think, is probably just going back to what, we, what we've been talking about, educating people on ESG. And Elisa, you're talking about all of these new uh, regulations and all of the frameworks. Actually, one of the things that we've been doing at Citizen M is uh, making sure that everyone's speaking the same language, right? Because there's so many frameworks, there's so much going on and we need to be speaking the same language to then be able to move in the right direction so we've been really clear on which frameworks we're adhering to we're working really hard with our finance team we're looking at IFRS the whole you know the whole thing we're really making sure that we are linking up with every department um but one of the the things that we've also been doing is we've made it mandatory for all employees to take our basic ESG training so it doesn't matter where you are in the company, um, if you're one of our wonderful ambassadors in our hotels, or if you're, uh, you know, the CFO, you have to take the uh, the course to understand what we focus on. So we have our vision, we have our mission, like very many other companies, but also we have our big goals. So we set ourselves goals for 2024, 2027, and 2030. So we've been really clear. What are our goals? Where are we going? And which frameworks are uh, are we using to tell our story and our ESG team there's there's four of us including me uh we are continuously talking to every single part of the business to make sure that ESG decisions are integrated from when we even select a, a site to build on to how we operate mm -hmm. our hotels to looking after our people and the HR department and then what we do with our our communities so what are we doing in terms of community impacts Yeah, so consistency, education, and integration, I guess that's my drive. Great. Um, uh, Gineth, how about you? How is it, how is it in, in your experience? Um, yeah, I mean, just like Annalise said, because I work with hotels mostly, uh, I mean, there's two parts also to our role. We um, work with hotels to take their soap baths, but we also go out and do a lot of green hygiene educational talks in schools to corporates like we work with banks like JP Morgan, T. Rowe Price, uh, big corporations um, and we also work with uh, community centers and um, awareness and education is one thing so we educate people from the back end back of house in uh, the hotels like housekeepers we work with the green team uh, as you know hotels is it was a big hotel They have many different departments. So how do we communicate beyond just the housekeeping team about our soap recycling program and the impact it has, not just the environmental, but the social impact? Because when we give out the soaps, uh, we also do wash programs like in very remote areas, Clean the World actually work with World Vision International, UNHCR. We develop uh, not just um, hand washing stations, we also give um, schools in remote, the like the most remote areas, the most, um, um, the one of the you know lowest lowest income of places in India and Africa. We build toilets, we give them water, clean drinking water, and we give them soaps, and then we teach the teachers. And in time mm -hmm. and their education, we find that if we give the 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 curriculum to a, a male teacher in very patriarchal societies. 
the uh, wash habit washing habits don't change. But if you give it to oh really. Yeah, if you give it to a female teacher, then you know the woman. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she cares more. She actually doesn't think it's beyond her, right? So she puts in more heart into teaching the children, and then we see that their absence, uh, school absenteeism rate drops. And then in very poor communities in Africa, India as well, if you introduce it to Uh, schools where there are girls hitting puberty, you actually see as well if there's a, a safe, clean toilet for them to attend. Then, um, in the past, before we an- introduce a wash program, you see the girls drop out of school. Uh, maybe 80% when they hit puberty, drop out of school. But if you give them a toilet, clean running water, soap, and you educate. Oh, I think we've lost her again. Oh dear. Okay. Well, um, that still ties on really well, actually. To just before we go towards the end of the questions to wrap up, because time sorry. is just running. Oh, here I, you're back. Okay, yeah, sorry. Let's go. Stopping. I'm. I think today is not my day. <laughs> um. So sorry. Just to give you a, a quick recap. Again, like in places where girls do not have access to clean toilets, they drop out. Right, because they're not. Uh, their family will say, "Hey, no, don't don't go to school. It's not safe for you when you hit puberty. Stay at home." But then, what happens is a snowball effect. They get married before they are, uh, you know, before they're old enough, and you have a child bride, and then they don't have a very good life. But if you introduce wash programs, then the girls stay in school. Their families. You know, more comfortable for them to to attend school, and maybe they finish you know one extra year in secondary school, or they complete their secondary school, and then their life, the quality of life improves. They don't they don't become child brides. Um, so we see the impact from the social part, um, in addition to the environmental part. But I think it's a full circle, and then back to education. It's all about. Um, You know, investing back into the communities because when a community is healthier, stronger, they don't. Uh, they're more. They're more. They're more um, strong, and they are also the most vulnerable communities because you talk about climate change. They are, you know, the ones who get impacted by that. And I think there's yeah. a UN study that shows that 80% of displacement happened to women when we talk about climate change displacement. So women tend to be the ones who suffer the most. So why not push women to take on a bigger responsibility for their future and for their children's future when it comes to sustainability? And I think um, if you push that, that kind of idea, I mean, women should naturally take on more responsibility when it comes to sustainability, push, pushing that agenda forward. Um, So I think that's my take and my experience uh, in in Philippines where I've gone down. I think Tracy is on the call. She and I we went down. We we took pictures with our team and we actually sat down with the mothers and the girls. And of course, most of those who attended the the, the hygiene education were women. You know, maybe we had one or two dads at the back or grandparents at the back uh, that were not female. But majority of the time, we find that female are the ones who love to share. So if you give them a green mm-hmm. education, they go back to their village, they go back to their informal settlements. They talk, they talk to their neighbors, their families, their church friends, and that's when the the word spread, right? Because I think you know women tend to share more; they're more open about things, and I think that's why sustainability is something we care so much about, but we share it more openly. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I think why not? Women should take that leadership role. In, in pushing that agenda forward. Uh, yes, and I think in many ways, just spreading the word and creating a um, a sense of united mission, wanting to achieve a goal together, but on the other hand, needing a sense of urgency in all aspects to know that if we don't act now, we don't really have that much time. And we also don't have much time left on this call, so yeah. <laughs> um, I <laughs> I wanted to kind of round off for the for the end of this discussion with a little input from each of you, maybe because 
I, I think most of us have a have a positive outlook on the world and maybe a sense of idealism wishing to change the world we live in for the better and doing what is in our power to achieve this. I wanted to ask each of you to just tell me in, in one or two sentences, what would be the biggest change you would wish to see? And um, yeah, what, what, your, what your personal idea of where we could head might look like. So this is quite broad, um, but I think each of us has our own personal dream and perhaps we can all share it and just be inspired by each other as well, because I'm certainly feeling very inspired from having heard all of your inputs today. Um, so, um, Alice, why don't we start with you? What a good question. And and I think we're all working so different topics. And I think my personal topic is like this whole inequality and inhumanity that we have in the world. And so my biggest dream is to have a more equal world and have a more humane world. And this really globally. And what I see like from the regulations now, it's European, it's Eurocentric. But if you go to some other countries sometimes, you know, it's so, um, I think the percentage talking about sustainability, living sustainable, um, acting sustainable is still so, so low. So my wish is mm. really to spread the world, make an impact, influence more people and really make it a more global movement than it is nowadays and this means governments um, companies and people all those need to act more because yeah that's it yeah bringing everybody to to the table uh together H how about you alessa yeah when you ask that question what comes to mind is I really want to be seeing sustainability integrated, like fully integrated in the way we live and operate. And this goes both for companies and for people in our day-to-day -day lives. And so for a company, just like analysts were sharing, like the education, the making it second nature, understanding all the terms, like all of that, so that it's no longer a siloed concept somewhere, but it's a mm -hmm. core part of how the business operates. And then for individuals as well, like I was saying with this Impact Entrepreneurship TV series, I would love for people to watch something like that and actually go, hey, it's not just about recycling the plastic that I consume and all of that. Actually, it's my career. It's how I show mm -hmm. up with other people. It's mm -hmm. the, the topics that I discuss with friends, right? So this integration in the way we live is what I really want to see. Great. I love that. Um, Annalise, and, and how about you? What's your dream and, and vision? Gosh, um, I think uh, just summarizing from before, I think I want to fast track that education, uh, that integration, um, so that uh, we can get to the action, speak louder than words part, right? So taking the actions, because I think that... Um, I, I really embrace all of the new regulations and, uh, you know, we're, we're working as fast as we can to make sure that we're aligned. But I also have that other side of me, which is I need action and we're taking action and, you know, making changes in our buildings, making uh, things happen to actually reduce our impact is, you know, super, super important. So I think that uh, fast tracking the education <laughs> integration and ensuring action um, and credibility is just super important for me. That's kind of, yeah, what I want to see happening. Amazing. Thank you. Um, how about you, Toya? How, uh, how would you envision the way forward? Um, I think for me, it starts with consciousness and awareness, because um, this is for, within yourself for others, for the environment. I think this is the foundation that we all, and we touched upon it, everybody touched upon it, right? Is the foundation that then once we are equipped with the skills, we can actually then act and then we can be in a place of choice and agency and chart a sustainable path for ourselves, for our families, for our communities. So to me, really, it's I yeah, dream of, well, we do have 
the consciousness and awareness, and then with that can have choices and 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 agency and and with that dignity um, for 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 ourselves and for our engagement with with the planet as a whole. I love that, especially dignity. I mean, it's it's such a it's a word we don't speak about often, but in a way, it really if you if you if you conduct yourself in your life and in the world in a dignified way with respect to other people and to the world you exist in, then it, it's just a kind of a, a mental way to hold yourself that I think is so powerful. Um, so how about Guinness? What is your what is your big dream? And I just had this awful realization. Can you please tell me if I've been mispronouncing your name? Um, it's fine. It's like Gwyneth, <laughs> the, the W, so it's Gwyneth. But okay, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Or just call me Gin, like Gin and Tonic. Um, the, that's All right. <laughs> yeah, easy on a tonic. <laughs> um, so I, I think my my wish is that Asia catches up with Europe and and the Western world, like America, soon. I think um, only because we do not have as much um focus i feel in asia we're like we, we we like to take a back seat and see what's happening in europe or the us you know <laughs> and so mm. i think there's no there's no um this it's almost like i wish they can leapfrog and do their own thing because i come mm. I, i i was in hong kong for 10 years and then i was i'm back in singapore but i saw the um you know, tw well, 12 years ago, I was in impact investing. So it was very much focused on social enterprises in, you know, the global South, like we're talking about India, you know, Bangladesh, Indonesia. Yeah, you're talking about investing money in social enterprises that can help, um, you know, the, the low-income communities. But then when I talk about the environment and everything, it was just like, oh, no, let's take care of the social side first and the environmental side will follow. But I thought, mm, I thought that interesting. was, yeah, they always thought like, when you talk about impact investing in Asia, they always say, focus on the social impact first and then the environmental impact will follow. But I'm always thinking, why can't both work concurrently? Why can't the focus be on both, right? Um, so I feel like that was 12 years ago, though. So things may have changed, but I still think in Asia we always talk about the, the social impact first, and not really um, too much on the environmental impact, unless there is a horrible heat wave. Then everybody talks about climate change. Um, but if or, or a typhoon or a hurricane, you know. But if not, the conversations in investment side is always mostly about the social impact. Um, which is interesting. I mean, oh, we've lost her again, but it is really interesting. And it's interesting how it's different between the European perspective and the Asian perspective, because at least in my perspective, in the Asian perspective, uh, in the European, it's been a little more in the other side. Um, but to close off on this, and we have not too much time left, Nora, um, Would you do us the honor to share your closing thoughts as we finish this conversation? Yes, uh, with pleasure. So um, my vision is that we uh, never like stop pushing ourselves and others because um, I wish for even more like for a regenerative way of business making and not like um, um, trying to fix what has been destroyed, but trying to also rebuild and now that's um quite far away but um i think it's it's nice to believe for me at least that there's an outlook that is um very positive and that goes beyond fixing mm -hmm. yeah i love that i mean just starting from a place where we're not in a in a place of depletion but in a place of regeneration and growth Because that's the only way really to be sustainable in, in the long term. And Anna is adding in the comments here and degrowth. I mean, that's a very interesting topic. That's a, that's a whole uh, new door to open, which we don't have the time for. But, but thank you, Nora. This was such a wonderful note on which to close off this conversation. So I just want to thank all of you so much 
for being here, for taking the time on your Friday and for genuinely just sharing your inspiring and incredible stories. I, I really wish we could continue for like another couple of hours, but we can't. So thank you very much. Thank you all for being here. And um, yes, we hope to uh, hear the audience members joining us for the next panels. And um, who knows where this uh, conversation and the connections that we made on this call might take us. I think a lot of us see potential uh, communications, interactions amongst each other as well. And I think this is one of the great things about building a community in this space as well, um, because it can help us in so many directions. So thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.